Great to see you all here this morning. Uh, I heard a story this past week about this little girl who, in Sunday school, she heard the story about Jonah and the whale. And uh, she was fascinated by the story, and so she was so taken in by it, the next day when she went to school, all day long, all she could talk about was Jonah and the whale. She told her teacher about it, all of her friends about it. She was just talking about Jonah and the whale, and on and on and on and on. And finally, uh, her teacher got kind of tired of her continually telling the story over and over again. And so her teacher pulled her aside and said, Honey, I know you love that story, but it's just a story. It could never happen. I mean, whales, you know, while they're big mammals, they have small throats, and they could never uh, swallow an entire man. Well, the little girl thought about that for a second. She said, Well, I don't know, but, but I know when I get to heaven, I'm just going to ask Jonah. And the teacher said, Well, what if Jonah's in hell? And the little girl said, Well, then you can ask him. Oh, that has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about this morning. I just thought that was cute and I had to share it with you. So, hey, I want to I want to begin this morning by looking at a couple of passages of scripture from our reading this past week. We're we're in the middle of this series. We're we're reading through the New Testament. We're doing a community Bible reading experience, and so there's a couple of passages I want to look at this morning. The first one is found in Romans chapter 12. This is probably a pretty familiar passage of Scripture. Um, if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, you can go there. Romans chapter 12, it's going to be up on the screen as well. But this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This, he says, is your spiritual act of worship, your true and proper worship. I want to pause there for just a moment. So what Paul is saying here is, is that true worship is more than the songs that we sing. True worship is more than the prayers that we pray. True worship is more than just this time that we gather together for an hour and a half or so on a Sunday morning. He says that true worship is when we're willing to give all that we are as a sacrifice to God, where we, we, we do what Susie talked about last week. We're willing to die to ourselves, and we give all that we are as a sacrifice to God, and we do that day in and day out. It's not just a one-time deal. It's every day. God, I am yours. I've died to myself. I give you all that I am today. I'm yours. I'm not mine anymore, and Paul says that is true worship. He goes on to say, he says, so since you've done that, do not conform to the pattern of this world. In other words, don't just do things because everybody else is doing them. Don't, don't just behave in a certain way because it's the norm. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then once that happens, he says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right, turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing. And in, in, uh, in Colossians 3, beginning with verse 1, he says this. He says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Okay, in Romans chapter 12, he says you've died. You become a sacrifice. In Colossians chapter 3, he says, now you've been raised with Christ. You've been given a new life. You, you're born again. Since then you have been raised with Christ, he says, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
He says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about your mind. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've been given a new mind. He says in Colossians, take that mind and think on things above, not on earthly things. I want you to know this morning that if you have given your life to Jesus, you have been given not only a new life, but according to Scripture, you've been given a new mind. In fact, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that you now have the mind of Christ. So so you not only have a new life, but you also have a a new mind. But guess what? You still have an old mind. (laughs) You've got a new mind, but you still have an old mind. That's why Paul says what you need to do is, this is a very intentional thing, make the decision to set your mind on things above, not things down here. In other words, you've been given the mind of Christ, so use it. Make the decision to use this mind and think up here, not down here. This is an act of the will. We can choose to either think with this mind that only processes things, you know, or thinks about things um, by by, uh, what we see, what we taste, what we touch, what we feel, or... We can process things. We've been given a new mind. We can process things. Up here, we have the ability to see things from a much higher perspective through the mind of Christ. One of the things that is unique, I think, about the culture that we live in, and we've talked about this before, but because of the technology that we have access to, we have been exposed to more information at a more rapid rate than any other time in history. I mean, you know, things can happen clear on the other side of the planet, and because of technology, we can know about it within a matter of minutes. Technology is an incredible thing that I think, you know, we we have kind of a love-hate relationship with, and I, I, I love it because, you know, obviously there's great benefit in the information that we have access to. We, we have instant access to more information, you know, just on our phones. I mean, think about the information that you have access to on your phones, than than our grandparents, you know, had in their entire life. Just just by the touch of a button, the access of information that we have. You know, through through news media, we hear about every conflict that is taking place around the world when a hundred years ago, you know, you may have heard a rumor about something happening somewhere, but uh, basically people were dropping bombs on you before we knew we were at war, you know. But now we have access to information. I, I was thinking about, I was reading about the Civil War, for example, the, the declaration that the Civil War uh, was over happened, and still for three more years, people were in the trenches shooting at each other because they hadn't got the information yet. And thousands, literally thousands of people died fighting a war that had officially ended because news hadn't gotten to them that the war was over. And, and so the information we have access to is good in some regards, but I, 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 like I said, I have kind of this love-hate relationship with technology. I also hate it because through modern technology, we're exposed to almost every bad thing that happens around the world. Always. Just bad news. All the time. 
In fact, I, last night I turned on the TV and uh, one of those news programs, I don't remember it was 2020 or Dateline or something like that was on. I don't even watch it anymore because it's the same story over and over and over again. Somebody killed somebody and there's this whole story about did they do it, who did it, and it's just bad news. And, and so, you know, everything that happens around the world, every bad thing, the moment it happens, you know, if a disaster happens clear across the globe, we know about it in a minute. We know every crime that is committed. We know every murder that has taken place. We know about, you know, how the Republicans hate the Democrats and the Democrats hate the Republicans. And, and we know about, you know, every sexual harassment charge and every hate crime. We, we know about all the misconduct that has taken place in law enforcement. We know about every theft, every car carjacking, every drive-by, every drug dealer that gets taken down or taken out in the inner city. And, and so we have all this information that is coming at it. And, and while some of us, or some of it may be a benefit, you know, certainly when it comes to things like uh, the awareness of sexual harassment and racial, racial discrimination, while, while those things are beneficial, what I'm getting at is that as a result of all the information that we're exposed to, I'm afraid that there's a danger for us, even as Christians, of being affected and infected by what the Bible calls the spirit of this world, the spirit of this age. And we don't even know it. Experts tell us that there are four stages of skill or awareness or competency. And, and the lowest stage, we're not going to go through all of them, but the lowest stage is what is called unconsciously ignorant. To, to be unconsciously ignorant means uh, that you don't even know that you don't know. You, you don't even know that you don't know. And, and I'm afraid that many followers of Jesus even are without knowing it, allowing themselves to be infected and affected by the spirit of this world rather than by the spirit of God, and they don't even know it. What, what I mean by that is unfortunately there are those whose thinking, you know, the way that they interpret the world and what's happening in the world is influenced more by the world than the word. They're thinking it's, it's influenced, for some people, it's influenced more by CNN and Fox News than it is, come on, than the word of God. Are some, for some people are thinking it's influenced more by that catchy phrase that so-and-so posted on Facebook that sounds good than the Word of God, what God says. Uh, so, some people, they're thinking it's more influenced by what this influential person says, this celebrity, this politician, than we are by what the Word of God says. And, and, and we don't even know it. We don't even realize it. But it impacts the way that we operate in the world. You, you, know, what a, you know what a familiar spirit is? Anybody, have you heard of that? You know, we live in this world that is multidimensional. You know this, right? We, we live in this world that is multidimensional. There is the physical dimension that we, we see, taste, feel, and touch. And then there's the spiritual dimension that is just as real. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6 that it's in this spiritual dimension that our real struggle takes place. He says this, he says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In other words, it, it's not, our, our fight isn't against people. Get this. Republicans, our fight isn't against the Democrats. Democrats, our fight is not against the Republicans. 
Liberals, it's not against the conservative. Conservatives, it's not against the liberals. Paul says that our real struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is who the enemy is. That is where our struggle is. And one of those spiritual forces of evil is what Paul calls them. One of the spiritual forces of evil is what the Bible refers to as a familiar spirit. A familiar spirit is an evil spirit that actually attaches itself to a person and becomes so much a part of their personality that you don't even know that they have that spirit until it's gone. It's kind of like you know, someone who no matter what, they're always critical always a victim their their mentality is always oh the world's out to get me and and you just think that's part of their personality you know they're just negative by nature and then when they get set free all of a sudden you're like oh that wasn't them at all that that was just that was just this familiar spirit it was a spirit of negativity uh, of an orphan spirit it was a spirit that had become so familiar that we begin to think it was them Kind of like, you know, if a guy drinks all the time and he's always drunk, you don't know how he really behaves until he's not drunk anymore. It just becomes so familiar. That's just the way they are. Well, what I'm getting at here is that I believe there is a danger that even as followers of Jesus, that we can allow ourselves to be so impacted by the spirit of this age, by all the stuff that's going on around us, to the point that it can become so familiar, so common that we just think it's normal. Let, 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 me, let me say it like this. Just because something is common doesn't mean it's normal. Just because something is common doesn't mean it's normal. Listen, listen. Cancer may be common, but it's not normal. A, a cancerous cell is not a normal cell. A normal cell is a normal cell. Come on. We, we, we live in a world where, where killing babies has become common. For, for a bunch of people, it's just become normal. You know, it's just a blob of tissue. It's an inconvenience to be eliminated. But come on, killing baby, babies, that is not normal. It's not normal. We, we live in a world where sexual immorality and sexual deviancy has become common. Come on, it's not normal. It doesn't make it normal because it's common. The Bible is very clear on the intent of sex. It is to be enjoyed between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. Just because we live in a society where it's become common to ignore all of that does not make it normal. Are you following me? Romans chapter 8, Paul says this. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh, he says, is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. He says, the mind governed by the flesh, get this, is hostile to God. And it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. He goes on to say, you, however, okay? 
So we're talking about those who are governed by the flesh. He says, okay, so you have been given a new life. You have been given the mind of Christ. You have died to yourself. You've been raised up with Christ. So you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then they don't belong to Christ. I love this, and I, I want to make one little clarification here, and we're not going to take a long time to talk about this, but, but I'd like to suggest that there is actually good flesh and bad flesh. Um, often, you know, in the church world, I think when we hear that word flesh, we automatically think bad, but I want you to think about this. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul instructs husbands to love their wives as they love their own flesh. And in, in, in John chapter 1, uh, it says that, that the word, Jesus, became flesh and walked among us. And so I want you to understand, you know, Jesus didn't have bad flesh. <laughs> Jesus was good flesh. And so there's, there's good flesh and there's bad flesh. And, and Paul here, when he's talking about the flesh, what he's talking about is a mindset. He's talking about lust and envy and jealousy and unforgiveness. He's talking about a way of thinking here that he calls the flesh. And he says this way of thinking, this mindset leads to death. When you think down here instead of up here, you have the mind of Christ. Set your mind on things above. You think down here, this leads to death, this leads to life. And when you're in this mindset, you know, when th that, that mindset of the flesh, when you're in this mindset, according to Paul, you cannot even submit yourself to God. How many know that the people who are bent on evil can't submit themselves to God? According to Paul, they are unable to do so. But Paul says, you, however, if you've been born of God, this doesn't even apply to you, or at least it shouldn't, because you are of the Spirit of God. In other words, you've been seated up here, you've been called to use this mind to set your mind on things above rather than down here. And people who are of the Spirit of God, they're not in the flesh. They're not operating in this mind. Instead, they're listening to the Holy Spirit, and they're operating out of this mind. They have set their minds on things above. Are you with me? But sometimes, I'd like to say that sometimes, even though we've been born again, even though we've been filled with the Spirit, sometimes we still have the tendency to tiptoe through the tulips of envy and strife and contention. And we remind. We, we remind. Remind ourselves of what we were supposed to have left. We've been given the mind of Christ and we remind what we are supposed to have left. And, and I want to say that Paul wouldn't have written this to believers. Come on, you know, you know that this was written not to unbelievers, it was written to believers, but Paul would not have written this to believers if he wasn't trying to remind us, come on, you are of the Spirit. 
You're not of the flesh anymore. So stay up here. Keep your mind up here. Don't fall back down into fleshly thinking. Since you have been raised up with Christ, set your mind up here. And think from, think in this way, think from heaven to earth rather than from earth to heaven. Let, 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 me, let me say it like this. Since you're up here, Make things that are valuable to the kingdom valuable to you. Instead of making things that are valuable to the world valuable to you. Make things that are valuable to the kingdom. You have the mind of Christ. Make things that are valuable to the kingdom valuable to you. In Luke chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus makes this very profound statement. He says this, he says, Consider carefully how you listen. Now, several other times, Jesus says, be careful of what you listen to. This time he doesn't say that. He, he says, this time he says, be careful how you listen. Not, not, you know, what you're listening to, but how you're listening. I think oftentimes we question, you know, what we hear or see, but seldom we question how we see. Let, let me illustrate what I'm trying to get at. Every single person, I don't know if you knew this, but every single person in here speaks with an accent. Did you know that? Every person in the world speaks with an accent. You do. I remember uh, a few years ago, I took a group of teens from uh, Kansas City to Newport, Tennessee, way down in the southern part of Tennessee, and uh, we did a mission trip down there through an organization called Youth Works. And there was another youth group that came and did this mission trip with us, and they were from Georgia. And so we were from Kansas, in Tennessee, southern Tennessee, in with a bunch of people from Georgia. And we got down there, and they, they started talking, and our kids were like, man, you guys have an accent. And they looked at us and said, we don't have the accent. You got the accent. You know, whenever we all have an accent, it's just whenever we get around somebody else who has a different accent, we're not the one who has the accent. They're the ones who has the accent. Listen, what I'd like to suggest is that not only do we speak with an accent, but we actually think and hear with an accent as well. Like, like we actually see the world not as it is, but we see the world through the lens of ourselves and we see it how we are. Let, let, let me try and explain what I'm talking about. I'm sure that something like this has probably happened to you, but um, I, I've always loved cars and I've owned a number of them down through the years. And I, I remember back when I was in my early 20s, this was back in the, the late 80s, and I was living in Kearney, Nebraska. It was before Laura and I were married, and I came across this little silver Porsche 924. And uh, I mean, it was just a cool little car, and so I wound up buying the car. And I'd never seen one really before. I mean, this was Kearney, Nebraska in the early 80s. This was Chevy and Ford country. And so I bought this little car, and I drive it. And, and you know, back when you're in your early 20s, you're single, the reason you buy cars is so that you can attract girls, right? And so I'm going to be cool in this car. If I can't go be cool by myself, I'm going to be cool in this car. And so I'm going to have something that nobody else has, and I'd never seen one before until I bought the car. And then all of a sudden, I started seeing them, you know? It's like this, you know, you, I'm going to buy this little 63 uh, 
burnt orange Volkswagen bug and you don't see any of them, the moment you buy it, the next day you see three. Where'd they all come from? It's because we're trained to see what we're looking for. We, we see the world, we, we discover the world through our own lens, through our own experience. And Jesus made this statement in John chapter 8, 32. He says this, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's two things that I want to point out here. First of all, this word truth, as it's used here, it's, it's not referring to the Bible, although we ought to know the Bible. We need to know the Word of God. But this truth here is it's a word that in other places is actually translated as the word reality. Jesus says, you'll know the reality, and the reality will set you free. That, that word uh, that's translated as set you free, <laughs> that is a word that means process. And so, listen, I love, I love it, you know, when God does something immediately. You will know the reality, and immediately the reality will set you free. But what Jesus is saying here, and, I, and he does those things, I've seen it happen before, but the words that Jesus uses here, he says, you will know the reality as you walk with me, you'll discover a new reality, and what's going to happen is that reality will progressively free your inner man. As you walk with me, you're going to discover a new reality. And as you walk with me daily and you get to know me, that new reality is going to become more real. And as it becomes more real, what's going to happen is you're going to be set more free. Are you with me? But the sad truth is that there are lots of people who operate down here instead of setting their mind up here, and because of that, they are actually living in a virtual reality. I mean, it looks real, it smells real, and it feels real, but it ain't real. And what I want to tell you is that all of us have the propensity to see virtual reality the way that we interpret the world when we're living down here as we interpret it through our own experiences and our own feeling. All of us have the propensity to see virtual reality as, we, as reality. The only way we'll really know the real reality, that's a lot of reals. The only way we'll know the real reality is when we have the mind of Christ. I don't, I don't know if anybody here is a dreamer. I dream, I dream like every night. And I remember my dreams. I dream in color. And um, in fact, last night, I dreamt that I had, written, I, I had rented a lime green RV <laughs> and was traveling across the United States. I have no idea what that means, but that was what my dream was. And so I remember my dream. Sometimes, that wasn't a great dream, but sometimes, I don't know if any of you have done this, but I've had dreams where I've woken up in the middle of the dream, and the dream has been so good, I've tried to go back to sleep so I could finish the dream. Have <laughs> any of you guys done that? Sometimes um, I have dreams, and sometimes, sometimes I, Laura is in my dreams. And sometimes they're not always good dreams. One time I dreamt that Laura gave away all of my fishing stuff. Why would she do that? One time, she, she's going to love it that I'm sharing this with you. One time I dreamed that she ran off with another guy. And I woke up and I was mad. 
I was. I, it took me like a half a day to get over it. Every time she would come into the room, I'd be like, Ugh. and she's like, why are you mad at me? And I was like, I dreamed you ran off with another guy. She hadn't even done anything, and I was mad at her. I, I tell you that, not just so that you all will know I need counseling really, really bad, but no, I, I, I tell you that because life can be the same way. We, it, it, can, it can feel real. It can look real. It can have all the same emotions of reality, but it ain't real. I remember a number of years ago when I was attending Mid-American Nazarene University, and I went there as a psych major initially. I thought I, I, thought I wanted to, to be a counselor. And so I, I was attending school there. I was a psych major. I got a job at a psych hospital. A bunch of the psych majors there had, had, were given jobs at the local psych hospital. And one of my first weeks there... I was given the assignment of just shadowing this young woman who was suicidal. And my, my entire eight hours, I, I would just to hang out with her, and my job was to make sure that she didn't hurt herself. And so in this time that we spent together, and this went on for, for several days, but in this time that I spent with her, I got to know her. Her name was Anne, and she was in her early 20s, and her boyfriend had actually killed himself a few weeks earlier. And that had sent her into this tailspin, and so she didn't want to live anymore. And, and, and so I discovered that not only was she suicidal, however, I found out that also she was anorexic. Now, she, she weighed maybe 80 pounds, you know, probably should have weighed 110, 120 pounds. And so you get the idea, I mean, she was nothing but skin and bone. Her face was sunken in, no meat on her arms or anything like that, just literally skin and bones. And at the time, I didn't know anything really about anorexia. I'd never known anybody who had had it. But as she began to tell me her story, what I quickly discovered is that she actually thought that she was fat. She was skin and bones. But in her mind, she thought, she felt, overweight and even though she had people who tried to convince her that she was skinny she didn't believe them because the reality is she was living in a virtual reality where she actually saw herself as fat and it didn't matter what anybody else said and 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 i was like you know you actually think you're heavy and she was like yeah why would i starve myself if i didn't think i was fat and what i'm getting at is that sometimes the enemy can get so involved in someone's life, I mean a good person, the enemy can get so involved keeping their mind down here instead of up here on things above to the point that they are deceived into thinking that what they feel, did you notice I said feel? <laughs> that, that what they feel is reality. When the truth is, what they feel in all actuality has absolutely nothing to do with real reality. A few weeks ago, um, probably like, like a number of you, I was heartbroken when I heard the news of uh, basketball star Kobe Bryant's death. In fact, I had left uh, church, I was driving home, and I turned on the radio, and I heard that early that Sunday morning, four or five weeks ago, that Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and seven others were all tragically killed when the helicopter that they were flying in unexplainably crashed into a California hillside. And um, in the days following that tragedy, 
Of course, everyone was trying to figure out why. Why did this happen? What, what would have caused an experienced pilot to, to turn upside down? One of the reports that I read was that some of the witnesses saw the belly of the helicopter turn upside down and, 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 and drop 2,300 feet in a matter of seconds. Why did that happen? Of course, they're still investigating that. I haven't seen the final report, but one of the articles that I read suggested that the probable cause may have been what experts refer to as spatial disorientation. How many pilots here? Anybody? Good, so you won't know if I'm telling the truth on this or not. No, <laughs> I, think, I think I have this right. If there's any pilots that are listening and I get any of it wrong, let me know. But the way I understand it is this, is that Spatial disorientation is something that happens uh, typically when the pilot loses sight of the horizon. Most of the time it's in bad weather or something like that. But it's when they don't have a point of reference and it feels like they're right side up and going up when the reality is they're upside down and going down. In fact, I'm told that most accidents happen because, and especially in small aircrafts, because of spatial disorientation. You think you're doing this, it feels like you're doing this, when in reality you're doing this. And in the article I read, because of spatial disorientation, because this is so common, that most aircrafts are actually fitted with two identical gauges called uh, altometers, in order to help accidents like this from happening. There's one on the left side of the instrument panel, one on the right side of the instrument panel. They're the same gauge. And the reason that there's two of them, and they, they both do the exact same thing, is that so when you have this feeling of disorientation, you can look at your gauges and realize that even though I may feel a certain way, both gauges couldn't be wrong. I mean, this one says I'm right side up and flat, and this one says I'm upside or right side up and flat, so the way that I feel isn't the way that I am. The, the problem comes in, and uh, I was talking to my dad, I, don't, I can't remember when we were talking about this, not too long ago, but my grandfather was actually killed in a plane crash because of this. But the problem comes in when the pilot chooses to respond and trust how they feel rather than what the gauges say. They wind up turning their plane upside down when the gauges say it's right side up because it feels like when they're upside down it's right side up and they wind up flying towards the ground because they think they're climbing and by the time they figure it out, it's too late. Listen, I, I, I tell you all that because... I believe that spatial disorientation is a problem, not just for pilots. Can, can, can you take a metaphor? You see, God has given us gauges. God, God has given us his word. This is why we're doing what we're doing. To read through his word. God has given us his word. He has given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us the community of believers who have experienced some of the storms of life that we experience. And he's given us these gauges, and yet, for so many of us, when the storms of life enter in, so many of us have the tendency to trust how we feel rather than the gauges that have been given to us. And, 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 and we wind up in that moment, trusting how we feel to interpret 
what's going on in our lives rather than the gauges that God has given to us. And in the end, it always leads to disaster. We end up wrecked, not, not because God didn't tell us, but because we chose not to believe what he said, and instead we chose to believe how we feel. In other words, our minds are here instead of here. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says that no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. But instead, he puts it on a hill so that everyone can see it. And then he says these words. He says, the light of the body is the eye. And if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What Jesus is talking about here is how you see. What is the lens that you see through? Is it dark or is it clear? Is it dark or is it clear? I was thinking about here a few years ago, Laura and I took a trip to Colorado and we were driving through Colorado. It was the middle of the summer. We were going to see her parents and I don't know, we were, there was nothing but fields all around and I don't know what they were, but there were these, I mean, just millions and millions of bugs and just smacking the windshield, just smacking the windshield. And it got so bad, we could not see that our, our vision had gotten so cloudy because the lens that we were looking through was distorting what was in front of us, and we didn't know it was coming because our lens was not clear. Jesus is saying, you've been given my mind, the mind of Christ. I'm going to give you a clear lens in which you can see the things that are coming your way and interpret them regardless of what your circumstances are. It's how you see and, and so, um, you know, I mean, you know, why is it that, that two people can be looking at the same set of exact circumstances and have two separate perspectives? Well, one sees an obstacle that they can't overcome, while the other one sees an opportunity for God to do something incredible. It's because one of them is looking with this mind, and the other is looking with this mind. We, we don't think about the fact that we have two minds. We do. I mean, this is why James talks about this. He talks about being double-minded. And he says when you're double-minded, you're unstable in everything that you do. we got to stay with the mind of Christ. When you're going like this, there's instability in that. And so the question is, how do we know if we're operating from up here rather than down here? How do we know if we have set our mind on things above rather than things below? Earlier we read from Romans chapter 12, verse two. I wanna revisit that for just a moment. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed. Be transformed by the what? Renewing of your mind. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. You'll know what's good. You'll understand reality because you, you have transformed your mind. It says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Here's what I want you to understand this morning is that God is not interested primarily in modifying your behavior. He, he, he's not trying to modify my behavior. What he really wants to do is he wants to transform my life. <laughs> He, 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 wants, he, he, he wants to do that not from the outside in. He wants to transform me from the, outs, or from the inside out. 
It's not about, well, I do these things in order to make me a good Christian. It's I'm allowing His Spirit to dwell in me, and because He's in me, it's going to impact the way that I live my life out here. And here's the deal. I want you to understand this. If you will change your mind, you know, you can't transform your life, but you can change your mind. And if you will change your mind, God will transform your life. So how do, how do we know we're operating from here rather than here? Real quick, I want to give you just six markers of a transformed mind. And I know there's a, there's a whole lot more than this. I'm just going to give you six or so, and, and then we're going to be done. The first one is this, is a transformed mind. Some of you might want to write these down. A transformed mind is always rooted in hope. One of the markers of a transformed mind is that it always operates from a foundation of hope. I think it was Bill Johnson who said this, but he said, any thought that is in my mind that doesn't inspire hope is rooted in a lie. You, you, you have the mind of Christ. And so one of the things that Christ came to do is to bring you hope. He's called our living hope. And so how do I know if I'm operating with the mind of Christ? Well, one of the ways I know is that whenever something goes wrong, my tendency, rather than immediately going into despair, I'm immediately like, oh, God's going to work that out. Because I have hope. Anytime something happens in my life that I don't understand or negative things happen, immediately instead of going into despair, I'm like, oh, God's going to work that out. God is a good God. I believe that he has the power to take care of this. And any thought that I have in my mind that tries to make me feel hopeless, I know where that came from, right? Those are seeds that the enemy is trying to sow in God's field, and you are God's field. And listen, he can sow the seeds, but they're not going to grow unless we water them. And so we reject those. We know where they're coming from. A, a transformed mind is always rooted in hope. Number two, in the transformed mind... The impossible seems reasonable. How, how do I know that I am here instead of here? One of the ways that I know that is when God says, I'm going to do this, and it's never happened before, my initial response is, yeah, it's going to happen. If God said it, I believe it, and that's all there is to it. You know the difference between a mind that is here and the transformed mind of Christ that is here. The difference is when, when a group of hungry people are gathered together and all you have is a few loaves and fishes, a mind that is here says, oh no, what are we going to do? We don't have enough resources. We can't deal with this. While a transformed mind, the mind of Christ says, okay, let's take what we have. Let's give thanks for it. Let's offer it up to the Father and then see what he does with it. That's the difference. The difference between a mind that is here and a mind that is here is when God says, I want you to go from here to here and a storm takes place in the middle. A mind that is here says, oh no, there's a storm, we're all going to die. While a transformed mind, the mind of Christ, is asleep in the bottom of the boat because he knows if I said we're going to go there, we're going to go there and how can we get there if we die in the middle? See the difference? A, a, trans, a transformed mind, for the transformed mind, the impossible just seems reasonable. 
There is no such thing as impossible. Number three, a transformed mind is able to turn worry into prayer. Philippians 4, 6 says this. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. <laughs> don't worry, pray. And we've talked about this before, but, but you know the difference between worry and prayer? The only difference between worry and prayer is who you're talking to. The, the, the only difference is who you're talking to. When you worry, what you're doing is you're talking to yourself. You're telling yourself whatever it is that, you know, that, that is bothering you, playing it over again and again in your mind, telling yourself the story of the situation, usually accenting all of the negatives. That's, that's what a mindset down here does. A transformed mind, on the other hand, takes that same situation and instead of worrying, it turns that into prayer. In other words, instead of talking to yourself about it, who you can't do anything about it anyway. I mean, if you could have, you would have. And so instead of talking to yourself about it, who you can't do anything about it, instead you talk to God about it, trusting that he can do what you can't do. Why? Because you're rooted in hope. Number four. A transformed mind always speculates towards the positive. Let, let me explain this one. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says this. He says that the weapons of our warfare, remember, we're fighting a war, and the battle's here. It's, it's not against people. It's in the spiritual. And so the war is different than what we often think of it as being, and the weapons of our warfare, where our warfare are different as well. He says they're not of the flesh, but the weapons of our warfare are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. And then Paul goes on to name three fortresses, thoughts, speculations, and lofty things. What is a speculation? A speculation is when we fill in the blank of something we don't know. A, a speculation is like if I have a birthday party and Carly doesn't show up for it. And I, and I go to this place, I knew it, I knew she didn't like me. I knew, she likes Laura, she doesn't like me, she's never liked me. That's a speculation. I, I have a choice. I can do that, or I can say, well, she probably had something else going on. Probably something came up. That's a speculation. A speculation is when Laura doesn't come home from work when she normally comes home, a speculation can be, see, I knew it. She ran off with that guy <laughs> from my dream. That's a speculation. Or... The speculation could be that her boss has kept her after work because he's given her that raise that we've been praying about. See, we have a choice in our speculations, and a transformed mind always speculates towards the positive. Why? Because we're hope-filled. Next one. A transformed mind. Was this number five? A transformed mind is quick to forgive and freely offers grace and mercy to others. In other words, a transformed mind doesn't hold on to a hurt. A, a, a transformed mind takes whatever hurts you've experienced and offers it up to the Father and receives healing for it and then moves on. 
A transformed mind doesn't hold on to a hurt, demanding that the person who hurt you receive punishment. Instead, a transformed mind is quick to forgive and freely gives the same grace and mercy that you have received to somebody else. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, forgive each other freely the same way that God has forgiven you through Christ Jesus. Number six, a transformed mind always believes in others and gives them the benefit of the doubt. Listen, let me me say this. You don't know what other people's motives are. You may think you do, but you don't know what other people... Listen, most of the time, we don't even know what our own motives are. Come on. On a good day, we might know. But but most of the time, we, we don't know. That's why the Bible says it's important for us to search our own hearts And it's important for us to ask the Holy Spirit, even better yet, to search us and test us and reveal to us if there's anything offensive in us that we don't even know about. In other words, Holy Spirit, I need you to search me and reveal to me what my own motives are. And so if we don't know our own motives, what makes us think that we can always tell what other people's motives are? And so don't don't be so arrogant to think that you know why other people do the things that they do. Listen, here's one of the markers of a transformed mind. A transformed mind always believes the best about others. Whenever there's a choice, it's like the speculations. Whenever there's the choice, I don't know why Carly didn't show up to my birthday party, but I'm going to be, believe the best. I can choose to believe the worst, or I'm going to, I'm going to choose to believe the best. It, it always gives others the benefit of the doubt. Um, some of you guys know this. One of my best friends in the whole world is uh, Joel Atwell. Joel pastors the church that we came from in Kansas. He's a lead pastor there, and, and uh, Joel's come and spoke here a few years ago, and so many of you got to meet him, but um, I love Joel, and Joel, Joel is pretty much responsible for teaching me everything that I know about ministry, and so you can blame him for this. Um, but before I was on staff with Joel, we were in a uh, small group Bible study early morning, Friday mornings. We met at like 5.30 a.m., and I remember this one morning we had met and I don't I don't remember what the conversation was I don't even remember what I said but I had made some observation or some comment about what we read and immediately after I said it Joel said something and immediately I felt like he was discounting or dismissing what I had said I felt like he was putting me down and so the, the meeting was over, I got in the car, and immediately, all of a sudden, the enemy, I, I was operating in this mind right here, where the enemy can sow seeds. And immediately, the enemy was like, see, he, he thinks you're an idiot. I mean, you think he's your friend, but he doesn't think very much of you. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he embarrass you in front of other people? And all of a sudden, there was this offense that started to raise up within me. Now, fortunately, I'm born again at this point, and I have a new mind. And so the Holy Spirit comes and says, wait, 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 wait a second. He says, you know Joel, right? Yeah, I know Joel. Joel's your friend, right? Yeah, Joel's my friend. And you know that Joel would never intentionally say or do anything to hurt you on purpose. You know that, right? And I said, yes. And all of a sudden, that offense began to leave. Why? Because I went from operating from here to here. I didn't know his motivation. I didn't know what was going on. He, to this day, he knows nothing about it. If you're watching Joel, I forgive you. 
He knew nothing, he knew nothing about it. But see, that's, that's the way a, a mind that is down here operates versus the way a mind that is up here operates. A mind that is seated on things above always gives people the benefit of the doubt, always thinks the best about people. Whenever I have a choice, I'm going to lean in that direction. You see, what I'm getting at here is if you have been born again, you have the mind of Christ. And you have a choice. Are you going to live here? Are you, are you going to um, filter all of your circumstances? Are you going to view all of your situations through, through this lens where, where it's cloudy and you, you don't understand? Or are you going to operate with the mind of Christ? Are you going to set your mind on things above where your mind is rooted in hope? Where the impossible is reasonable? Where instead of worrying about things, you just lay them at the feet of the Father? Where your speculations are always positive and hope-filled? Where you're quick to forgive and offer grace and mercy? And where you believe in others, giving them the benefit of the doubt? I don't know about you, I want to live up here. This is the means that God has given to us. And so here's what I want to do as, I, as we close. We're going, to, we're going to wrap things up. I want to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. There may be some of you here this morning. And I, I, I'm not going to leave the service without giving you an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never done what Paul talked about in that first verse where you've given your life up, and you said, it's no longer me. I want you to be the Lord of my life, the forgiver of my sins. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, and if the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart, and you're saying, you know, I've never done that. I want to do that. There's no better time than right now to do it. And so I just want to say a little prayer with you. This is a, this is a decision that you make. We pray a prayer to enforce the decision that you make to receive the grace that God has to give to you. And so this morning, Jesus, just pray this with me in the quietness of your heart. This morning, Jesus, I recognize that I have lived apart from you and I've been the one calling the shots of my own life and I've been viewing the world through my own reality and I, I've, I've sinned in the process. <laughs> I've hurt myself, I've hurt other people, I've made decisions that I regret and today I just want to give those to you. You said that if I confess my sin, you'll be faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And so today, Jesus, I give my life to you. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to die to myself and I want to be raised up in, with Christ. I want to have your mind. I want to understand your reality. <laughs> I want to walk with you daily to the point where the more that I know your reality, the more that I, I be set free in my inner man. And so I give myself to you today. There may be some here this morning and maybe you prayed that prayer and maybe you, you've given your life to Jesus and you love Jesus. But the Holy Spirit has given you an awareness this morning that even though you've been given this mind up here, you've been operating, you've been making decisions, you've been filtering what you see through this fleshly mind. 
today I want to encourage you just to confess that. Jesus, I love you and I didn't even realize this. I, 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 I didn't know what I didn't know. But I know it now. And so I just want to operate with your mind. I, 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 I want to operate with your thought. I want to be listening to your voice. And I want to make decisions not based on what I see and not based on what I feel, but on what you say. So would you help me with that? Would you help me to have an ear that is tuned to you? And would you help me to spend more time in your word rather than all the other influences that I spend time listening to and help me to be influenced by what you say, by your spirit? So I just ask you that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to know this morning, if you prayed that, God will do it. He said, see, he said, he said we have not because we ask not. We just got to ask. And so if you asked him for that this morning, you, you can walk in that. Be listening to his voice. He'll, it's crazy how he'll talk to you if you listen. He really will. So I encourage you to do that. Brian, you want to close this out? I just want to give the Lord a hand this morning for that.